All right. Thank you, Tanner. I appreciate that. It's great music this morning. All right, children, we're going to dismiss you to heads downstairs to go to uh, Sunday school. Sister Roberta, she's back there waiting for you. Enjoy yourself while your parents endure up here. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. The title of my message this morning is Help Our Unbelief. And although that that, uh, actual quote is not in Mark chapter 4, in this passage, it's in Mark chapter nine, but it's uh, it's ultimately what the topic of our of of what Mark is illustrating for us or recording for us in the uh, in the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ while he was on earth, and so we're going to be getting into that today. So let's go ahead and read the passage of scripture that we're going to be covering, and then we'll ask the Lord to meet with us and help us with it. So Mark chapter four verses thirty five through forty one is where we're going to be at this morning. 35 through 41. The word of the Lord says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. And so they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And so they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. you pray with me? Father, we come before your throne. Again, thankful, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, to be able to worship you in song. This morning, Lord, was just such a a blessing to us. And God, I pray that you received our our songs, Lord, um, as as a means of worship, to give you the honor and the glory that you so deserve only you alone god are worthy of our praise and our worship and adoration and we're so thankful to be able to do that this morning and uh, god as we now worship you uh, by opening and proclaiming your word we pray that your spirit would move in our midst that your spirit would move in our hearts each one of us father are encountering different struggles walking with you in different areas and times of life. And only you, knew, you know these things, Lord. And I just pray, my prayer is that your spirit would minister to the hearts of your people. That this would not just be a time to, to endure and to, to get through, but, but that your spirit would work in our hearts, God. That you'd be glorified as, as your spirit transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus, that we might look a little more like Jesus as your Spirit applies the Word to our hearts and convicts us of our need to apply it to our lives and to walk it out and not just be hearers only. Father, would you help us now? And we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so we have this 
passage of scripture. So we have gone through several teachings, right? Mark is, is all about getting to us to the cross. He's, he's, he's jumping over a lot of the, the uh, teaching that Jesus has, has done in the other gospels because he's, he's just trying to get us to the cross. He's trying to get his readers to understand uh, what this, this uh, sacrifice of Jesus is all about and how eternal life can be found in the, the Son of God uh, and all these things. But we, in the first beginning of chapter 4, Mark kind of pauses and actually begins to, for the first time to give us some teaching of what Jesus was teaching. And teaching began to use parables to, to teach deeper meanings of the kingdom of God and what the, the understanding of what, what the kingdom of God was truly all about and the spiritual connotations and the spiritual meaning that, that were, are there. And so we, we've been spending the last several weeks going over that. And then we, we get back into the narrative of, of, of Mark recording this time when Jesus was in the boat on that day. Right? He gets in that, that same boat, the, that same day that he is teaching parables from the boat. He's, he now is uh, moving on, moving us on uh, to this, this account of this storm arising. And at, at its surface, as we've read this passage of Scripture, we see it's just another opportunity for Mark to demonstrate Christ's deity, right? his authority. We've seen Mark demonstrate Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm, right? Casting out many, many demons. Um, healing the sick. Healing the blind. All these demonstrations of, of Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. I am the life. I, I am the one, the promised one that is found in the Old Testament. And now we see him uh, demonstrating himself over nature over natural evil right we encounter in this fallen world uh, all sorts of evil we have uh, spiritual darkness all around us we don't have to look very far to see that in our culture on the television in our politics all these this evil that uh, seems to be pervading this this creation in, in the in the cursed state that we find ourselves in but there's also a natural evil that occurs right pandemics um, and, and hurricanes and earthquakes, all these things are or what we would term, the, the, the fancy word for it is, is natural evil. And we, we know as, as God has revealed his, his revela- in his revelation, in his, in his inspired scripture, that uh, it was not meant to be that this is the effects of the fallen nature of, of what happened in the garden, Adam and Eve. The curse has come because they disobeyed. And not only uh, is humanity uh, cursed with this uh, separation from God, but creation itself is bearing the weight, as Paul mentions in Romans chapter 1, of this curse and storms and earthquakes and devastating tsunamis all these things are a demonstration of a yet another demonstration of the fallen nature that we find ourselves in but that is reason for us to have hope even more hope in the good news right that god has not just left us for us to endure the evil around us he has given us good news and provided for us the good news that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost. For all those who will believe and receive his salvation that he has purchased for us. When he went to the cross and took the, the penalty of our sins and our, the wrath of God upon himself for the sins. For all those who will believe. He did that so you and I could receive the gospel, the good news of salvation, eternal life 
with God, not because of our righteousness, because of his. He stood in our place and took the penalty on our account. And that's the hope that we have as Christ followers. That's the hope that we cling to in spite of what's going on. But again, that's just at the surface level. This passage of Scripture marks again demonstrating Christ's authority or Christ's deity and his authority over nature. So when Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except by me, right? That is, that is putting your, your eternality in, in one basket. You cannot just add Jesus to a long list of things in the hopes that God will, 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 will count you as righteous enough one day. Christ comes to earth as the Messiah and says, I am the only way. Believing upon my gift of salvation that I'm going to redeem for you through my death, burial, and resurrection is the only way. And so for us to hear that message and, and to abandon hope in all else, right, it's, that's, a, that's a pretty big thing. To not just have a little credit of how good we are or how religious we are, how, how faithful we are to go to church, not just on Sunday mornings, but Sunday nights. To, to lean into that a little bit as opposed to just Jesus and believing and trusting in Christ alone, because that's what he's calling us to do. But thanks be to God, he's given us his word and he's demonstrated to us that Jesus not only said he was the way, the truth, and life, but he demonstrated that he had the authority to be able to be so. That he was not just a teacher from God, or a good person. He was God in the flesh. To come, He came to save His people. He took on the form of man to save us. And Jesus' deity is demonstrated by Him calming this storm. Psalm 107 talks about the wondrous works of Yahweh. The Lord, if you read in the Old Testament, uh, often uh, the, the newer translations are coming out with, you'll see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in the Old Testament especially. And when you see all capitals, Lord, what they're referring to, what is, is trying to, they're pointing towards is this, this unique name of God, Yahweh. The old pronunciation um, is Jehovah. Um, some of the older works, uh, if you read the older, the older people, the older saints that have gone before us, they will have Jehovah as opposed to Yahweh. Uh, but modern study has, has determined that this is more of a, a correct way to say it. But Psalm 107 is the wondrous works of Yahweh. So the psalmist is demonstrating to us the power and all-powerful God that has created us. And his name is Yahweh. And he talks about uh, how he has power over the sea. Others went to the sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. And they saw the Lord's works. Right? You get out of nature for very long, you're going to see the Lord's works. You will be humbled by the power of creation. And they saw the Lord's works and His wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind, and that stirred up the waves of the sea. Rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. Have you been there? <laughs> you got it all under control? You're Mr. Outdoorsman or Mrs. Outdoorsman, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a natural circumstance where the storm or the creation is just raging, and all of a sudden you begin to see yourself as smaller and smaller and smaller. 
how you really have no control after all. Their courage melting away in anguish. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like a drunkard and all their skills were useless. And they, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. It's always a good place to be. When the Lord brings you to the end of yourself. And then they cried out to their Lord in trouble. And what do we see here in this passage in Mark? The storm arises. And who do they cry out to? Jesus. The Son of God. Yahweh in the flesh. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And, brought they, and he brought them out of their distress. And I just want to pause. If you don't take anything away for the rest of this sermon, I just pray if you're in the storm, if you're in trouble, if, you're, if you feel like you're, the storms of life are just overtaking you, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to Him. He is real. He desires to take your burdens. And He brought them out of their distress. Verse 29, He stilled the storm to a whisper. And the waves of the sea were hushed. We see this playing out in Mark, don't we? And they rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. And then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord. Why? For his faithful love. And his wondrous works. For all of humanity. There's no better place to be than coming to the end of yourself and the end of trusting yourself and calling out to the Lord and finding Him faithful. Because as believers, we don't just stop there, right? He gets the praise and the adoration and the glory for being faithful. For demonstrating His love. We reflect back to Him and worship all that He is for us. So getting back in Mark, we see here that Jesus rebukes the storm, demonstrating His authority again. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence! Be still! Because He's God in the flesh. You can place your faith in Him and His promises He's extended to us. Because he's demonstrated his authority to do so. Silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Verse 40, then he said to them, so he rebukes the storm, but then we see here in verse 40 that he rebukes, either my ears melting away or this thing's just not working out for me. All right. Verse 40, he rebukes, he rebukes the wind in verse 39, or the or nature, creation, and now he rebukes his disciples. So this is the second portion that we're going to be focusing on. He demonstrates his authority of creation, and now he, he rebukes, he takes this opportunity to, for teaching his disciples. And it's recorded for us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that you and I here in 2022 can, can glean the same teaching that Jesus gave to disciples at the, this night on the, on the boat. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
We've seen in Mark how Jesus is walking down the beach and he calls them, follow me to his disciples. We covered last week how he told the three fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He gives them a promise to follow. He says to follow me and trust. Ultimately what it means when he calls us to follow after Jesus, he's calling us to entrust ourselves to him. When he called the fishermen, he said, entrust yourself to me. That's what it means to follow after Jesus, to, uh, to hand over your life. Remember, we've talked about dying to self and our own desires. That this is what it looks like, walking it out. And trusting ourselves to our great Redeemer and Savior, who is God, who has power over all things. And he rebukes them to, to remind them, why are you afraid? Don't you have faith? Don't you believe that whatever happens to you, I'm, I've allowed it to be? Didn't I tell you I was going to make you fishers of men? Where is your faith in this? And it's really easy for us to stand back and, and see the story and go, man, after all those miracles that Jesus did, after all these things that Christ has done in front of their eyes, is demonstrating his authority, they, they are still scared. But let's turn it into ourselves for a second. We had the completed revelation of God. He's asked us to entrust ourselves to him, to die to our own desires, to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to live for his glory. Yet there's not one of us who can say we don't get overwhelmed with fear and anxiety of this world and the storms of life. And so it's a, it's a call for us as well. It's a reminder for us as well to walk by faith and not by sight in spite of what's going on. We cling to the Lord and His promises without faith the writer of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God, right? Hebrews 11.6 says this, Now without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seeks him. To walk by faith is the means in which we please God. It's an act of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Entrusting ourselves to him by faith. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. Right? We don't see our God. He's Jesus, Lord Jesus, is bodily at the right hand of the Father, forever making intercession for us as our great high priest. God the Father is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. We don't, we don't see him, and, but, we, but we, we see his, his workings and, and we, we, we've heard this gospel message and we by faith have received it and believed it with his help through the convicting work of the Spirit. And he calls us to, to walk our lives in this idea of faith. He exists 
He's real. Our God, Yahweh, is not some far-off God who just stands back and lets us squirm and just endure. He's personal. He knows you. He knows the amount of hairs on your head, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And this relationship that we have with him at this point in time is a relationship that we come to him by faith. Not with our eyes, but by believing and trusting his promises and allowing him to demonstrate his power and glory in our lives individually and collectively as a church. We have to draw near to him because we believe that he exists and the writer of Hebrews says he rewards those who seek him. And he gives, goes on in Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the, the great chapter of faith. He gives us example of, after example of Old Testament saints who have gone before us, who, who lived their lives out in faith, trusting in the promises of God. And so God has given us these, time, these examples time and time again, again fortifying our, our ability to place our faith and trust in God, what God has promised. Because others have gone before us and have lived their lives in the lives of faith, by, by faith, and have seen God demonstrate time and time again His, His wondrous glory. There's Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, King David, right? Samuel and the prophets, all found in the Old Testament, who, what, by faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and, and put foreign armies to flight. God is sovereign and in control of all these things. And this is the God who has saved you in Christ Jesus. This is who Jesus Christ has demonstrated himself to be. It's not just the the awesome stories of God's power in battle and and beating foreign armies, but, but even in the hard times in life, the trials and the storms and the tribulation, God is faithful. He goes on in verse 36 of of Hebrews. Others experience mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to know there's there's a teaching out here in the West in Christendom that's about Placing your, if you place your faith, if you really have faith in Christ, if you really have this faith in God, if you believe strong enough, you will escape all hardships and circumstances and trials and storms in this life. And I tell you this morning, that is false. Jesus has never promised to deliver us in this life of the storms and trials and tribulations. In fact, he, if you look and look into the word, he uses those, those storms and trials and tribulations in our life to refine us, to make us more like Jesus. As these Old Testament saints are proving to us. Oh, you're sick? You just don't have enough faith. That's bull. God's allowed you to be sick for your good 
and for his glory. God allows trials, allows evil to do its ugly thing in our lives. But by faith, we know God is working through it and using it. Others experienced mockings and scourges as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed into two. Their prayer requests were probably a little different than ours, right? Lord, please don't let me get sawed in two today. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world (laughs) was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved in the eyes of God. Not because of their self-righteousness, not because of their church attendance, They were approved because of their faith. They trusted in God in spite of what they saw. But they did not receive what was promised. They endured their lives. They didn't receive the promise that they were given, but they believed, they trusted. And why is that? Since God had provided something better for us. They laid the groundwork for the Savior to come. For you and I to hear the gospel message of Jesus and how he's come to save you from what you truly deserve. These saints have gone before us and have made the way, trusting and promising in God. And so the gospel message goes out even today and we are to what? Trust and promise in God and what he's declared he will give us as we believe and trust in Christ alone. And it's foundational. I wanted to, I was being tempted to to skip this passage in Romans for sake of time. But I think it's important for us to to lay the foundation of of justifying, being justified, legally declared righteous in the eyes of God, right, is, is so important for us. We can't just skip over it. Because I could easily come to you and you could never, you could not be in Christ right now. You have never encountered Jesus in a saving way. And I could have given this sermon and say, trust in God, believe, and, and all these things. But I've, I have never given you the gospel with the, the foundational understanding of what it means to be justified in the eyes of a holy God through what placing your faith in Christ's accomplished work alone. That is the only means in which we can be declared righteous by God. To be justified is by entering into this saving relationship through faith in Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4 about the importance of coming to God by faith, and it's always been by faith. I would often ask Christians, how did God save in the Old Testament? And they would say, by keeping the law. And that's not the case. God has always saved his people through proclaiming promises and people believing and trusting in his promises. And he gives us an example here of Abraham, who was before the law, of how he was declared righteous, 
not by what he had done, but by believing and trusting in God and what God promised he would do. He says in verse 16, this is why the promise is by faith. So your relationship with God, your eternality, your eternal home rests on this one question. This is the most important decision you will ever make. The means in which we obtain eternal life is by placing our faith and trust in God and what he's promised to do for us in Christ. So that it may be according to what? Grace. Not by works. Not by how righteous we can be. But this word grace is just an amazing word. It's such a short word, but yet it's so unlimited. It's God's unmerited love extended to us. He, he, we couldn't do it ourselves, so he did it for us in Christ. And it may be according to grace to demonstrate his love for you. He, he made a way for you to have eternal life by simply placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. To guarantee it to all descendants. This is the Abrahamic covenant that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. All of Abraham's descendants, through him, a nation will be built, land will be given, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. It's a guarantee to all his descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, those who were were given the, the, the Mosaic covenant, but also the one who is of Abraham's faith before the Mosaic covenant. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, right? He's quoting Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant, in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Abraham believed and trusted in Yahweh. And this God is the one who gives life to the dead. Amen? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that before we encountered Christ, we were dead, separated, dead in our trespasses and sins. But there's this God through this salvation in Christ that gives us life, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that does not exist. He is all-powerful. He is to be trusted. Verse 18, he believed, hoping against hope. Abraham did, he believed. Hoping against hope. We've been there, right? We're hoping for a different outcome. But our eyes are telling us a completely different story. Hoping against hope. Abraham was 100 years old. And he was told by God that he was going to have a seed that was going to bless all the nations. And all of us would say, there's no way. His wife was old. Unable to have children. But God. But God. God receives the glory as we come to the end of ourselves, so that he became the father of many nations according to what he had been spoken, so so will your descendants be. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced 
And this is what it comes down to for us. Fully convinced that what God had promised, He was able to do. In spite of what we see with our eyes. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Verse 22, Therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. He did not cower in unbelief. And that is what Christ, through the power of the Spirit, calls you to do this morning. Trust in Christ. And if you do so, you will be credited his righteousness. That is the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 23, Now it was credited to him, was not only to Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who do what? Who believe in him. Who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. What are you placing your faith in this morning? I pray it is Christ and his accomplished work alone. Verse 25, He was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Jesus not only just died, he rose from the grave. He had victory over death, the consequence of sin, and all those who place their faith and trust in him are promised victory over sin and death. And by we believe this by faith. And we do so because we trust our God because he is sovereign. He's in control over all things. He's transcendent. He's not bound by any other law. He is in of himself uh, all uh, in all. He is sovereign and in control. Yahweh is the eternal God. As the psalmist says in 92, verse Psalm 92, uh, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, try to measure that out in your head. God made time. He stands outside of our time. From eternity to eternity, you are God. We can rest in Him. And this Jesus, who's revealed in Scripture as the Messiah, is Yahweh. Manifested in the flesh, condescended in human nature. He came down. God came from heaven through the second person of our triune God that took upon flesh. Psalm, or Colossians 1 declares the deity of Jesus in just this beautiful passage of Scripture. He is the image of the invisible God. He, he, you want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. He is the image, the exact imprint of God, God in the flesh. It is Him. Do you want to know who your God and Creator is? Turn to Jesus in the pages of Scripture. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. He's number one, the most priority in all of creation because He came from heaven. He is the prime um, being. He's the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him. Here's this beautiful passage, this demonstration of just to make sure there's no doubt of who Jesus is. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him 
and for him. This is the Jesus that uh, has been revealed to us in Scripture. And this is the Jesus that the Spirit asks you to place your faith and trust in, to entrust yourself to. No matter what storms in life come, no matter if your following Jesus leads to death, entrust yourself to Him. Follow after Him by faith. So our application in closing up here, I just have four points in two verses, four points in two verses, so we, we can get through this, right? Four points in two verses that I want to try to apply to ask the Lord to help us with as we go out and begin and desire to walk after Christ and to follow Christ this week. Walking with faith, walking with Jesus by faith. What does that look like? How do we apply that? And we, I think there's four things that we can see in the last two verses, 40 and 41. And the first point that we have to do to, to walk by faith of Jesus is to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? And wisdom. We did a series in Ecclesiastes. What was Solomon's final conclusion? After all that it had been heard, after all the things that he's seen and tried to find meaning and purpose in this life, he told us to fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus in Matthew tells his followers, don't fear those who kill the body. Don't fear this world, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. To walk with Jesus, to entrust yourself to him, is to, to have this healthy fear of who God is. And that's what we see in this passage, right? Uh, verse 40, Then he said to them, Why are you still afraid? Do, or uh, Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? See, during the storm, they were fearful of the storm. And then after Jesus demonstrated his power and authority, they took their fear away from the storm, right? They didn't fear the storm anymore. They feared the man who stilled the storm. Who is this man? That even the wind and the sea obey him. He is our Savior. He is our God. The first point in walking and following after Jesus by faith is to fear God. Second one is be grounded in God's word. Be grounded in God's word. In John chapter 8, many were believing in Jesus. And Jesus takes a moment and says, Look, if you're really going to be my disciple, you need to be grounded in, in my word, essentially. I'll read it for you, verse 30. And he was saying these things. Many believed in him. There, it's easy to say you believe in Jesus. And, and when Jesus is a, is a popular thing, and when Jesus is your means in which you're, you get good things, like he's a genie in a bottle. But when hardships come, when storms come, what's going to keep you grounded? Fear God and be grounded in his word. Jesus says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you really continue in my word, you really are my disciples. We must be grounded in his word. We must be fed from the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. It's the means, it's the Spirit's tool in our lives. 
The writer of Hebrews says the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it can slay between soul and spirit. And as the discerner, it's what the spirit uses in our lives between the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. We must be people of the word. If we are to follow Jesus and be grounded when the storms come, fear God. Be grounded in his word. You will know the truth, he says, if you continue in my word. What a great passage. All the lies that are being spewed in this culture that we have in social media and the news and blah, blah, blah. We can stand in truth, absolute truth that will never change. And it is found in God's word. Let us be people of the word. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You don't have to fear what this world says if you're grounded in the truth. Number three, trust in God's promises in spite of what is happening in this world. In spite of what we see, in spite of what we're experiencing. To walk with Jesus by faith is to trust in God in spite of all those things. John 16, Jesus answered them, do you, know, do you now believe the disciples are like, oh, now you're not talking to us and teaching us some parables anymore. You're just speaking plain sense. And so, so now we understand that you're from the Son of God. And he's like, oh, yeah? Yeah? Do you, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. Jesus is saying, all right, your faith is going to be tested. There's gonna, you're going to be running home with your tail between your legs here shortly. Yet I am, um, each one of you, he's, they're abandoning Christ essentially as he's going to the cross, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, he says. The Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. God extends his peace to us. If we seek to follow him and fearing the Lord, being grounded in his word, and choose to, by faith, trust his promises instead of what we're experiencing and seeing with our eyes and our ears. In him, you may have peace. In the world, this world that we're living in, you will have tribulation. Jesus doesn't promise to deliver us from our tribulation in this world. He just promises to be with us and to carry us through as we trust in Him. But take heart, He says. Take heart, church. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Let us rest in Him. Last point. Pray for the Lord's help. In this passage of Scripture, we see even though Jesus has demonstrated this power and authority all time and time again, the disciples have this lack of faith. And I think we can all be honest and say, well, you know what, there's, there's times when we all have those, those times when we just lack faith. And we begin to worry and we begin to doubt. And we wonder about God and who he says he is and his promises because it just doesn't seem like he's there. But to follow after him by faith 
is to be anchored in the fear of the Lord, be grounded in His Word. What was the last one? Believe His promises in spite of what you see. But in those times of doubt, I, I implore you, call out to Him in prayer. Seek Him. And you will find Him. In Mark chapter 9, there's this passage of Scripture where there's uh, this father. And I, as a dad, I, 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 if you put yourself in his shoes, you, you, right? You, so if your child is sick, you, you just want them, to, want them to be well. And you'll do anything to make your child well. And this, this boy is, is struck, he's demon-possessed and he's flopping on the floor and all these things. And, and all this has been... All these cures, I'm sure, I have no doubt, have been tried. And so they hear Jesus and they come to Jesus. And, and uh, he, they, the father asked Jesus this. If you can, so he says uh, to Jesus, if you can, make my boy well, if you can. And Jesus' response is, if you can, with a question mark. Jesus is calling him, this father, to believe, to trust that Jesus can. If you can. And he goes on to say, everything is possible for the one who believes. So anything's possible for those who place their faith in God and trust in Him. This is what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, teaching this father and the boy. And so what is the father's response? Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe! but help my unbelief. It's a paradoxical statement, right? I believe, but honestly, I have some doubt. And it's okay to come to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I believe, I want to trust, I want to believe, but doubt is creeping in. Help my unbelief call out to him in your time of need be anchored in the word keep believing in the promises of God even in spite of what you're experiencing in this life because ultimately we understand that it's not this world or what this world has to bring us that we are to fear but to fear God and our eternal destiny I pray that if you've not encountered Jesus, if you've not been justified by placing your faith and trust in Christ alone, that today would be the day that the Spirit convicts you of your need to abandon hope in all else. And that you would believe and trust in Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by Him. I pray that's you this morning. If you have any questions and desire for, to know from Scripture how that can be a reality in your life, I'd have love the privilege of showing you after church. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity, God, to be reminded of our great God, of you and um, our Savior, who is also our, our God, Yahweh, the second person of our triune God. Father, you are uh, God the Father and have demonstrated 
um, yourself to be uh, the one God, yet in the three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, who, who came, took upon flesh, and then the Spirit of God, who, uh, the third person, the Spirit of God, who, who convicts us of our need to, to receive you and indwells us.